0: Hello, and welcome to Wilmot Dixon's Building Knowledge podcast. The energy crisis is impacting us all. It's predicted that some businesses' costs could rise by 250% and that energy prices will remain significantly above average until 2030 and beyond. With that in mind, our sustainability manager, Francesca Wilkinson, spoke to Building Brum's Connor Nolan about the crisis and the importance of procuring new buildings that will stand the test of time. Hi, Francesca thanks so much for joining me today on the building Broom podcast how are you
1: i'm all good thanks for having me very good thanks
0: not at all not at all the um i can i gotta ask how's your week been because as a, as a sustainability manager for a for a main contractor i can't imagine anyone busier than you right now with 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 everything that's going on with with the fuel crisis and what that means to accelerate the 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 journey to a to a stronger net zero agenda like what, what how's your week been what's your, what's your day-to-day like
1: I think you summed it up it's um very busy um my role I'm involved in very early new business projects all the way through to ones that are on construction right now so my remit covers currently 27 projects oh um day. and I'm managing all the sustainability aspects as well as environmental on all of them and then answering all the, the the big the big news questions of the day as well the amount of times that fuel crisis and net zeros just people asking me in the office etc it's all all consuming
0: so that, well that's amazing so you've got 27 projects and you you involve the whole project life cycle it sounds Yeah. how do you find the technology has changed from say the project eight which you might have started a year ago or two years ago to project 27 which you started last week and it's a new development dear you, you must constantly be be learning new new new, the new yeah methods of
1: um i'd say a big a big chunk of my um my role is being on that kind of precipice of, of new technology being on top of the regulations that are changing and and just being that support for the team so when the projects come design managers estimators can can run with it but i need to have that information for them to do it so, yeah, a big part is just learning all of that, constantly researching. Um, It's an ever-moving end line. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy doing all that. But as you said, like, from projects that we currently have on site that might have started in pre-construction three years ago, um, it's changed massively to ones we have in pre-construction now. So, if I think back three years ago, my percentage time on each project was a couple of percent a week I would just pop into a meeting give a little spiel on sustainability and step back out Um, and most of my time was around environmental compliance whereas projects we have in pre-construction now I'm 10-20% of the time on one project splitting that across 12 projects we have in pre-construction it doesn't add up to 100% so it kind of shows you how how much time I'm actually getting pulled into projects now because sustainability net zeros at the forefront of what they're wanting to do and you're having to have that specialist kind of expertise sitting in main project groups now rather than acting as like a external consultant so it's yeah yeah, it's changed massively my role even in the last 18 months so
0: I can imagine I mean is there how much flexibility do you have to when you say say you're in pre-con but you're just you're learning about a new technology a new a new a new method of sustainable construction where you can work on the pre- premise that you've you're planning the development of a new building using X but you know there's a new technology coming out it's it's, it's so close at what point can you can you make that shift can you swap it out and and, and implement it? An, something new is how how flexible is that process
1: um it's very difficult i would say as an industry we're very risk averse um it's not many of our not many customers in the industry that want to be the early adopters if they if they're not sure it's going to work um but i think that's where the benefit of kind of me working across so many projects is that i can take the knowledge and expertise of saying well we have done it here or we've done something similar let's um kind of put it towards the customer for the next project they have in the pipeline so they might not do it in the one we're currently working on but we we use our knowledge and expertise and kind of investigated and research into it to inform the next project of their pipeline so it's there's not often where there's like, like an immediate shift to oh there's no technology oh we're going to use it on this project it's quite a long term process to we're just we're just a risk averse industry overall so it's it's, no, it's, yeah, it's hard to get them in there. So,
0: but I'm sure, but this is the thing: there's the need for net zero. It, it, it's it well, it's, it's well improving. It's obvious, and the fact that the technology is now there, and the designs are there to create these net zero, net zero buildings. How are you seeing the adoption of of, of net zero buildings? What 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 what's the appetite like from? A, private private sector higher education where are you seeing like sectors really embrace new modern methods of construction and net zero and and where do you see some sectors that coming up and putting barriers up and just or either facing barriers because of the perhaps the costs that are involved
1: I would say from my experience that the ones that you can see are leading the way are, are the higher education Um, they are being pushed by the students on the campuses, wanting more sustainable students. Um, There's research out there now that something like 37% of people rate sustainability in their top three when they're choosing what university they're going to. So it's the Uh, universities are getting pushed. Yeah, they're getting pushed by their students. Um, There's so many student campaigns now and like groups. So I definitely see higher education, um, as well as their ability to tap into their own research. Um, are the ones leading the way in net zero um, like for example one of our early early adopters and um, net zero and carbon reduction was the University of Leicester and their centre for medicine um, project that they done so we actually completed that um, back in 2016 but they were an early adopter of the net zero agenda and um, they went full passive house on that project and they were like It was the largest UK or Europe Passive House building at the time that it was completed, and they are reaping the benefits of being an early adopter into net zero technology into Passive House. Um, We replace a building on their campus that was using 500,000, like in monetary terms, that's how much it was costing to run the building for energy, with a Passive House building that would then cost 57,000 per year to run
0: wow that's a huge reduction
1: yeah and you think that was back in 2016 so if you scale that up to today's fuel crisis prices their mass their savings over six years plus what they're saving with the fuel crisis right now is absolutely massive from being an early adopter and it is the universities and higher educations are are those early adopters and leading the way Um, so it just shows the importance of you can't wait to, to do net zero it should be getting done now so you can reap the benefits of it so
0: and so with, with, with what Leicester did because I mean the if you completed on that back in 2016 pre-con going back to it must have been well under the conversation start in 2013 at least yeah to, I imagine those conversations back in 2013 to to develop such an ambitious build in at the time um would have been a yeah that's a good Quite a bold move by Leicester at the time.
1: Yep, yeah, it was and I think it, it's driven other higher education um, establishments to really push forward as well. University of Birmingham, um, they have their whole decarbonisation project that they're doing now. University of Warwick is one of the leading sustainability universities right now and one that we work with quite a lot. Um, so they're definitely the, the, the ones that are leading the way. Um, schools, and local authority kind of projects are catching up. Um, a lot of local authorities have now declared a climate emergency. Um, well, most of them declared it in about 2019. So that just means that they they're going to be net zero in their operations um, by the latest 2050. Um, but a lot of them have said they'll do it by 2030. So um, Birmingham uh, local authority have said they'll do it by 2030. So from that, the 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 infrastructure, the buildings they are now having to develop have to start looking at net zero if they're going to hit their own climate emergency declarations, so they're starting to, to catch up and we're seeing more and more questions about net zero coming from our local authorities now as well, so.
0: Well, I never I never thought of that aspect of it with the, um, if you take the Birmingham's um, net zero strategy, mm-hmm. so that would also include all of the secondary schools or the primary yeah. schools, and what you're saying is those, those those assets, those buildings there, they would have to be retrofitted. And
1: um, yeah, so if you if you think about retrofitting new build, eighty um, percent of the buildings that are currently in like that are going to be in around in 2050 are already built. So eighty percent of the buildings that we're saying we're meant to hit net zero by 2050 in the UK, they're already there. So that's a lot of buildings that will have to be retrofitted. So when we're talking about new builds. We really shouldn't have any that aren't net zero, because all we're doing is adding to the problem of that existing building stock that already needs to be retrofitted up to a net zero standard. It's so,
0: just—it's crazy if you were to be putting gas boilers into into new buildings. If 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 these targets set out mean that you've got to go in anyway and retrofit it, oh, like that's.
1: Yeah, um, it's driven. I guess the, the fuel crisis. Look at it circling back almost it's um gas is still seen as a viable option because of things like the fuel crisis right now gas is still the cheapest um like method of energy um for people to get so when they're looking at their ongoing operating costs at today's prices gas is still looks like the best to use because it'll be the cheapest um there is a lot of research about when the balance between gas and electricity will equal and your electricity will start to to cost similar to what gas does per kilowatt but right now gas is cheaper so a lot of customers are still getting driven by that that it's just cheaper to put it in so and cheaper to run with it
0: when when when, when's it gonna even out when's it gonna when do you think it will catch up with each other
1: um i don't think it will be long um i think I don't think electricity will come down in price, but I think gas is gonna go up and up. Um, the, the more the grid decarbonizes, the more we stop investing in fossil fuels um, as the UK, the, the gas prices will have to go up because you're gonna have less of it. So it's, it's what drives prices up. But um, I definitely think it will start to to link in with like 2030 net yeah. zero targets and and things like that. So I say the, the, the balance of the flip is gonna happen within 10 years, like so
0: you you've got say if you've got the higher education institute's kind of leading the way with really pushing and developing these 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 net zero campuses and and, and investing back into the buildings that are, that are on the campus to, to like, like we just talked about retrofit and and do all these things to decarbonize the estates what about if you say if you took more private sector, say you took the build to rent sector or build to sell like what what about the conversations that you're seeing taking place there? How how do you find that more private um, developers their appetite for for developing net zero buildings? What what does it um, come down to? Like right, with the, obviously there is there must be an additional cost that's incurred. Like we talked about, like you you mentioned, gas is cheaper, so the technology to put in the building would be cheaper. You'd you you think so? Where does how are you seeing that that change in kind of the trends and acceptance and developers embracing this this new technology i think
1: um private developments probably it's a hard area for them to look at it's a hard area for them to grasp because a a, a big thing about net zero is everyone says it's it's too expensive or it's more expensive than if you didn't do a net zero building um and that's when you're talking about kind of the capital cost of a building versus the operating costs of the building so your capital cost may be more expensive to build a net zero building if you want it exactly architecturally the same um but your operating costs will be lower but when you look at the private sector private investors they don't get the benefit of those operating costs um, because they just pay for it and they, they rent it out or they sell it on um, so they can, it's it's harder for them to grasp the idea of net zero because they're not gonna get the return on it. They don't see it as much. Um, so it's, it's an easy way to sell net zero is to sell that it's gonna be cheaper um, and your operating costs for it. But if you've not got that angle to sell it on, it is harder to get the private developers on board with it. But we do have some that are doing it to lead the way in the market. So we've got a, um, assisted living unit down in Caddington near Luton. Um and they've came out and said they want to be the first net zero um, scheme um, like assisted living scheme uh, and we're creating that for them. Um, so right, they're doing that. Do that? Um, it is um, legal in general with the investors in it and, uh, and uh, IVG is oh, nice. who we work right. with. So IVG have just come out and said that they want to to be the first net zero um and that's just driven off the back of their own their, their own agenda to be to put sustainability at the forefront of their business um so some of them are, are taking it some of them are seeing the opportunities and seeing that um people will like people are going to buy those apartments that people are going to be living in them they're going to be asking for is it net zero what are my running costs going to be and it's going to look more like appetizing to buy a rent because it's net zero
0: so okay. Well, that's it. It's kind of like you've got the consumer side to it, then, with with both build to end and build to sell. Like, and if you've got if you, if you are developing a, a a new project, a new site, but your your audience, your your market is asking those questions around what what are the, what what are the costs in in heat in the building and the energy efficiencies? Surely, those those changing trends, those those wants from from an, from your customer base, are gonna impact on how you how you does how you how you develop how yeah your i think
1: that's that started to be seen like particularly with the fuel crisis from given of the year we're starting to see that kind of change in the consumer what they want and then the developers private investors picking up on that and realizing that people are asking for this this is a high agenda point for a lot of people and it, it's kind of been reinforced by the fuel crisis um, people who are buying homes are directly being hit and their their day-to-day cost of living um so it is starting to get higher and higher on their agenda and it's and it's slowly filtering through now and um, we we see it on some of the opportunities we're looking at we're getting more and more people putting net zero at the top of their agenda because the public's asking for it or the people the people are asking for it so
0: it's interesting what about projects where they currently they're still maybe they're still in pre-con and they've originally been thinking about having it's just like putting a gas boiler in but now they're coming back saying, like, right, we want to, we want to re, we want to re look at this and introduce a, a an electric um, electric system that's going to provide um, you, rather. Are you seeing that those conversations take place?
1: We are seeing those conversations, but it's it's less of them coming and saying, going from one extreme to the other. Not they've not came and said, I want to hit building regs, and all of a sudden it's oh, I want to be completely net zero. Um, there's a term net zero ready. Uh, and that's the uptake of that is being it's getting bigger. So that's where the, the building's not going to be net zero when it's completed, but the infrastructure and the systems are in place to easily retrofit it to be net zero. So it might have a gas boiler just now, but the pipes, the radiators, the infrastructure, they're all sized so that in five years time, you can take that gas boiler off and put an air source heat pump on it. And that's the only change you have to make. And then it will be net zero. Um, so a lot of people can ask him for that. They want the short-term benefit of having gas because it's it's cheaper, but the infrastructure of the building will be easily retrofitted to be net zero. So it's a net zero ready building is what it's known as. And it can be other things such as like you might not have PV solar panels on the building when you're doing it now, but you've built the infrastructure and the weight of the building to be able to take the weight of a pv panel or a pv array so it yeah. can be put on later so it's more more of the customers are starting to look at things like that that we don't have the capital cost right now to go fully net zero but we know that we have to make it as easy as possible to be net zero in the future so
0: okay no i, I, I never had maybe i had come across net zero already but i probably couldn't really recognize that yeah if you're if you're looking at a new development and putting everything in place for that retrofit that, that needs to take place so that you can keep the cost to develop the site originally, then um, yeah, no, I t- totally get that. I mean, what, what about the, cause you've got, as my Dixon, you've got a your now or never policy that you implemented and you've been working on, it, 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 it's almost 10 years old now, isn't it really? When you look at when it was starting to be developed, I remember chatting before and it's, it's something that's been something that you've been working on and, and developing for years. So what, I, what I'm keen to understand is with the implementation of, of the now or never strategy and, and what you're working towards, your own net, net zero goals, um, what are the benefits that you expect to see in the, in the long term when you're working with clients for the fact that you as, as an industry leader having your own net zero strategy on how to kind of achieve achieve the goals that you're set, yeah. in developing more sustainable buildings, both externally but also um, th- looking at the own. supply chain and, and and looking at all aspects of the business. I mean, and in, in in that case, how 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 is that impacting your relationship with clients because they know your stance on it, but also if you look at the the projects that you mentioned before with, with the new university site in Warwick where do you find that there's key moments for you learn more about the the sustainable journey that you're on and you're able to kind of improve that improve on really what's the the word i'm looking for It's. you've learned so much from the work that you're doing that you're able to raise the knowledge within the sector as a whole essentially
1: yeah, um, so our never, never, Never policy, it came out in 2020, but as you said, we've been working on it. We've had our policies before then. Like I originally started as an intern, I used to work directly on our group sustainability team. So that was four years ago. And even then they were halfway through the development of our never, Never strategy. So there's a lot of knowledge that sits behind that strategy. Uh, and it really, it pushes us to be able to upskill our supply chain, but also our customers on it. Um, University of Warwick's a really good example. Um, We we like to say that we are trusted advisor to them when the university were developing their own carbon policy. um, They asked me uh, and our Head of Sustainability to go in and speak to them and to help develop their carbon policy. So they're trusting us because of our background, because of the strategy, because of the the impact we've had on their campus, We've, we've built four or five projects for them. Um, they, they see us as that trusted advisor and that all comes from our never, never strategy and that like the experience we have on there. Um, Warwick is, I mean, they're a great customer to work with. They're like-minded and that's like a key a key thing is if your customer's on the, the same journey as you, I would say it makes it easy, but it makes it easier to, to do all the sustainability and net zero. Um, but like things like Warwick, We've been working with them for the last three years on their sports hub, measuring the energy that building's actually they've been using so that they can get a better understanding of their campus uses as a whole, what kind of things that they have to put in place to meet their own net zero agenda, because they want to be net zero in their scopes one and two by 2030. Um, whereas we are going to be net zero in our operations by 2030. So it's, we're they're learning from what we already know. Yeah. Um, so, a lot of the, the work we've done there uh, on Warwick, um, we use our, it's a verification energy um, modeling system called Energy Synergy, whereas we we keep with the projects for years after we hand them over and actually, are they performing as they're designed? We've handed over a building and said it will use X amount of energy. Is it actually using that? And we put a bit of the onus on ourselves. It's not just, oh, yeah, there's your building, there's your keys, good luck. Um we're gonna walk away and start the next one. We, we take a responsibility to make sure that those buildings are as energy efficient as they should be, that the people know how to use the buildings, that the systems are optimized. Um, what at University Sports Hub, for example, we potentially saved them 40,000 pounds in their first year of operation, just by going back in and looking at how's the building being used? Do the people that are facilitating and facility managers actually know how to use the building? All the systems being used correctly by them? And just part of it was upscaling them. Part of it was looking at, are these the right systems that we put in it? And we use things like energy synergy and all the lessons learned from that to inform the next design and the next buildings. So every time we go back and work with Warwick, we go, oh, we learned this X, Y, and Z on this project. Let's now implement that on the next one and do it better and do it better. So these long-term like working relationships with our clients are key um, because you just every time you just get that little bit better that closer to everyone's target of net zero
0: so it's tell me, tell me so how is the um is it the, the sports was it the sports center in warwick did you say
1: yeah so the the sports and wellness center on so on the campus so
0: so how when, when did you when did you reach pc on that scheme
1: uh that was so three years ago um okay. so 2019 yeah
0: and off so, the top of your head, have you got any, any like, key takeaways, any like dramatic statistics you can kind of throw out there to say? Uh,
1: from the, the study that we done on there, there was things like um, 27% of their lighting was getting used out of hours. So the building was closed, locked up, but 27% of all the lighting energy was still being used. Um, They had 32% of their small power being used out of hours. And the Sports and Wellness Centre has the biggest UK um, university gym, so it's 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 a high intensity building anyway. And you've got 32% of that energy being used out of hours. It's it's crazy statistics. So you're looking at that, and then relating it straight to money, that's where you've got those 40k savings. Just from yeah, that's the two that always stick with me. It's just the the 27 and and 32%. small power being used
0: out of ours. It's no, it's that's massive. That is yeah. huge. And yeah, I, I can see what you mean in terms of being able to take that knowledge forward, everything you learn from these projects and, and move them, move them on to um further down the line. Birkenau,
1: uh, we've done good. it um the next one we completed there, IBRB and we're running Energy Synergy as well. Uh, and a big takeaway there is um, we actually ran two models uh, with different occupancy hours. We ran one if the building was getting used nine to five, and we ran one if it was 24 hours, because um, this is a, the IBRB building is, is open to researchers. So it sh- the idea was that it'd be open all the time, any scientists go into their labs at any time. Uh, but when we showed the uni the amount of energy that you could save being a nine to five building or 24 hours, they are now looking at their own structure of like, should the full building be open 24 hours? Can we close off labs one, two, and three and that's not, not right let people, here. yeah. So it's, it's, it's without doing the kind of energy modeling and optimization, you wouldn't really understand the implications of things like as simple as opening hours on the thousands it could save you and energy costs also the carbon associated with all that as well,
0: so. Yeah, absolutely, I'm saying that's fascinating. And what do you reckon about the ESG agenda with larger banking institutes kind of opening up the market for, say, green finance and helping us to deliver net zero targets quicker? I mean, because we, we talked when we talked about it before with with, with, more, with our private sector clients, is that is there opportunities that are there for them to kind of access this type of cash? And have you seen? is it, it, it how, your personal like your out your outlook on it with the fact that this these things are now available do you think that's gonna install further confidence on when people are on these journeys to for, to 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 build net zero and use modern methods of construction
1: um i think it can only help um one of the big barriers to net zero a lot of people say is is the capital cost of it so if you've got green finance, uh, green loans, open up in the market there, it, it can only help because you're almost taking away part of the barrier, the, the money barrier there. Um, if you, But it also, it does put more emphasis on the importance of it. If you've got these massive market of green finances, banks all committing to, and it's it's billions of pounds that they're, they're committing to put into the green investment, um, I think it just reinforces that if people, if they're willing to put their money, where their mouth is then it should only surely should only drive the net zero targets and um it's just the next step is how that's actually implemented how easy are those loans for people to get what are the contractual agreements behind them um i personally believe that like i haven't seen it happen yet i see it's, it's a good idea but it's it's when it becomes reality it's a, how does it actually happen in practice um but I do think it can only it can only help the net zero targets be achieved quicker. Um it's not necessarily, it's not a bad thing.
0: So uh. no, no, absolutely. No, Francesca, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and talking to me and telling me really, really interesting what 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 you're doing at work, what you've done at work and kind of the way you were able to um kind of extract the data from um from how the building's been used. Really, really fascinating stuff. Thank you so much.
1: No problem. Thank you for having me.
0: Great stuff. Um I will speak to you, definitely speak to you again soon. So I'm interested to hear how um, yeah, how Warwick kind of grows and, and develops out further. And then um, yep. especially this new what was the what was the building you mentioned before with the um with the research center?
1: That's um IBRB, so the interdisciplinary research. Yeah, IPRB. <laughs>
0: no, yeah, keen to understand how they, um, what decision they make in the end. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Francesca. No problem, thank you.